Hey everybody, Scott Lee's here again uh, with the Serpent Sales Podcast. I'm here with my good friend Richard Harris and my other good friend here in Austin, although we're not in the same spot right now, Brandon Kelly. Brandon Kelly is the VP of Sales over at Qualia. He's been VP of Sales on a lot of other places like Turnkey Vacation Rentals, MongoDB he was a sales leader at. He's been in sales for, for a long time. And uh, Brandon and I know each other through our kids' Little League Baseball program here in Austin. Brandon, good to see you, man. It's been a, been a couple weeks. Welcome to the show. Yeah, great to see you too, Scott. Thanks for having me. Did Richard, you, thanks for having me. Did you squeeze him out, Brandon? You squeeze Scott out of the qualia? Is that how this works? <laughs> uh, something like that. Yeah. No comment. I yeah, plead well, the fifth. Right. Brandon, Brandon is, is who I have entrusted with the, the keys to the, the car in my departure. Yeah, it's a passing of the baton. That's yes, right. Exactly. That's right. That's right. Not a, it's not a hostile takeover. <laughs> the That's right. So, uh, you know, you, you and I, as I just said, Brandon, you know, we've known each other for a couple of years, kind of met through literally here in Austin and we were talking and kind of joking, but there's a lot of truth in it actually. Like we both coach baseball and co coach our kids and, and teams and stuff. And we were talking about some of the similarities and how uh, coaching literally kind of, is similar or prepares you to be a better sales leader and, and, a, and a better a better sales coach. So, tell me, tell us a little bit more about that. What's what's kind of your perspective and hot takes on that stuff? Yeah, it's amazing uh, um, the similarities you find between uh, eight year olds and nine year olds and um, adult sales professionals. Examples, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but more well. So and by adult, you mean by by number only? Yeah, yeah exactly. By, by age only. Adult by age only. Not, not by behavior. No, but uh, seriously though, I would, I would say the par parallels I see is with Little League, and you know this, Scott, is the mastery and execution. It the mastery of execution just requires so many reps, just countless Countless yeah. reps. Like if you're looking at batting mechanics, um, let's just simplify it to say that there's three primary components of a swing. We know that there's a few more than that, um, but let's just say that there's three primary components of a swing. Uh, an eight-year-old in Little League has to, has to practice those three components literally like tens of thousands of times in order to get to a point where the the execution is like really, really good so that they can play baseball competitively. Um, and I would say like most little league teams just aren't, the coaches aren't putting their players through enough reps. And so the execution never gets really good enough and they have a ton of fun, but they might not win a whole lot of baseball games. And I, I see the same thing with sales teams that I visit. Um, and I see, you know, on a, on a, on some level, I see some of that with the sales reps that we have on our team or that I might've had on, teams in the past where, you know, if, if there's 10 things that are required for really, really sound execution in sales, um, if, if you're only rehearsing three or four of them on a regular basis and the other six are deficient, they're broken, um, you're going to get a lot of at-bats. You might have some fun and get some wins here, here and there, but you're just not going to win a whole lot of games. So let me, I want to ask you a question because um, you're talking about the fundamentals. 
Talk about the coaching side of that, right? Right. Like talk about, all right, so you got your kid, you know, whether they played baseball or not, right? It's just, it's, you know, you got, you're going to have a, a certain process you're going to teach the kid who's first year versus the process who's third year, similar to sales, right? First time salesperson and in sales 10 or 15 years. How do you coach to those people? Like, and, and as it relates from and just sticking with this analogy. Yeah. So if we'll take, you know, we start with uh, my, my baseball team, you know, I got a, I have a kid, we'll call him Joey, who's an all, who's an all-star and you know, he gets professional outside of my coaching. He has like a professional hitting coach that his parents send him to. And so like the mechanic, the mechanics are there. Like I'm really there. Old. What's that? I said, he's like eight years old, Richard. Yeah, he's like, right. eight yeah, years old. I believe it. we have our priorities straight in this country. Don't you ever forget that. And, um, <laughs> And so what I'm there to do is, is to reinforce the principles that the hitting coach has already taught him and make sure he gets the reps and make sure he gets the encouragement and the motivation and the slap on his butt and the high five that he, he needs to stay motivated and um, dialed in men mentally. And then I have a first-year player who you're constructing their swing from scratch. You know, they've probably swung a baseball bat like 10 times and have no idea what they're doing. So you're working on the um, mechanics of the swing, you're working on the timing, you're working on their confidence. Um, yeah, I, and and I, I think I know the answer to this, at least as it pertains to, to baseball, but you know, coaching those two types of, of kids or those two types of reps are very different, right? And, yeah. I, and I think the longer you're in leadership, it, it gets harder maybe to have the patience and the, and, and the, the teacher kind of mindset to work with those people who don't know how to swing at all. Right. I think you really have to have a passion for teaching to do that. Have, have you, have you found that to be true for you or are you just as passionate now about coaching people who are just getting started? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think I am just as passionate. I might be a little bit of, of an anomaly I'd say, but like when I was an individual contributor, when I was a sales rep and I carried a bag and had my own individual number, the things that really made me great weren't, didn't necessarily lead to like healthy values. Like I wanted to be great because I wanted to win at all costs. I didn't always enjoy the process, um, always enjoy every aspect of the process. And so when I got an opportunity to lead salespeople, um, I felt like the reasons why I wanted to do that led, led to me establishing much more healthy values, which were like, I really had, I took great satisfaction in helping people add like new tools to their toolkit. I took great satisfaction in seeing people become successful and in, in coaching them and help them become better sales pr professionals. So like for me, the most life-giving aspect of being a sales leader is the coaching. So I think rather than me being less passionate about it or being less interested in coaching reps hands-on, what ends up happening is I have a lot of other responsibilities on my plate that um, take me away from coaching the reps hand on, but the, the passion is still there. So like if we look at the um, sort of the example that Richard gave, if you have like a top producing rep, rep who is a professional sales executive on the team, you're, you're coaching that person in a very different way than the new sales rep who needs like a whole repertoire of skills before they can even even so, uh, get on the field. 
Yeah. So what are your, what are your favorite things to do with a rep, whether they're brand new or they're the seasoned veteran, right? Like I'm trying to give the listeners a, ch a chance to go, Oh, I should try that. Like, I want to, I want to do this in my one-on-ones like Brandon said, or I want to do, you know, granted you can't slap them on the butt these days. Um, Cause that's inappropriate. <laughs> uh, it's even questionable in, in baseball, but um, you're probably right. Yeah. What, what are those things that, that you think are like, or maybe this is a better question. What are the parts of the what is what are the parts that your team say they like about Brandon? Yeah. I love it when Brandon does this for me. Right. So we'll call we'll call it a batting cage, but this is something I haven't always called it a batting cage. I really I think I stole that from Scott. Yeah, um, my terminology, yeah. yeah. But it's it's the same concept that I've been been using throughout my throughout my career, um, which is you know you're we're bringing some someone in. To, to really, really work on the mechanics of their swing. In this case, like let's say the batting cage is, is focused on the cold call. You know, you're, we're using conversational intelligence like Gong. We're listening live to, uh, not live, but we're listening to a call that they re recently had with a prospect. And we're breaking down ex exact um, me mechanics of our, of our cold call process, their ability to identify and expose pain up front, what was done well, what was done, what was done poorly. We're digging into um, the discovery process. Are they truly understanding the, the current state and the future state that this prospect is trying, trying to get to? And then as they switch and turn that switch um, to, um, to move from pain to, to value, like are, are, they, are they doing that well? And then are, are they scheduling and setting up concrete next steps and setting accurate expectations in the, in these batting cages. It's, these are all the fundamentals as sales leaders we know to focus on when we're coaching up, up skills, but the, the how we do it is really important where we're making sure we've got enough um, observation under our belt. So what I try to do is make sure when we're listening, you know, we're giving feedback on that particular call, but the observation I'm making, let's say like a deficiency in how they're doing discovery and exposing pain, I'm tying that back to 10 other calls I heard that person make where they had the same deficiency. So now when I deliver the feedback, the message like, hey, this is deficient, here's a new way of doing things, why don't you, why don't you try, try that? The, the collateral impact of it is so much greater than um, them just focusing on that call because it's a trend they have throughout all, all of their calls. Yeah. And now we need to make sure they absorb it, go out in the real world and apply it. And we follow back up to make sure that application is actually leading to better, better results. So that's one example of something that I'll do with, um, you know, not just newer reps. I would say that's, that's more some skill development for, um, for new, newer reps, but that's something that can benefit your more seasoned veteran as well. Oh, that's great. I, think, I think it's a really good, good point you know, when you talk about kind of delivering 10 calls to somebody and they can, and, and you have the trend, it's like, you know, we've all coached salespeople who are like, Oh yeah, you know, I did it on that one call, but I, but I don't, you don't normally do that. Right. Yeah. Like, well, when you can present 10 calls in a row or 20 calls in a row, it's like, I got a body of evidence here, pal. Yeah. That you're executing this way, you know? Yeah. Um, you know what, Everybody has their own kind of ideas and theories maybe on 
on why salespeople seem to struggle with the discipline required to be successful in sales and in particular enterprise sales in a, in a longer sales cycle. And, you know, you, you spent a lot of your career in that, that kind of world. What, what do you, what is your take on that? Like why are salespeople a unique butterfly in this particular case that we, that we struggle to stick to, you know, the process and, and we lack dis- discipline? Yeah. Well, the way, you know, I have, I had a, a mentor who once told me that, um, you know, the artist can be very successful in sales, but you can really only have like one artist on your team, right? And there's this one artist who, and we've all had this person on our teams or we work, we've worked side by side with this person, or maybe we are this person, um, where the artist is, they're just so good at the craft of, of sales. They're excellent at, at discovery, doing it intelligently and creatively and really understanding, getting to the root of an issue that a customer has they're, they're, they're so um, effective at the pitch and value, value selling and storytelling, and they're just expert at negotiation, but they can't tell anyone how they did it, right? They can't transfer those skills to anyone else. They're typically really bad at recording this stuff in the CRM. <laughs> they're typically really bad at, for, at forecasting, but they always deliver their number and usually well beyond their, their quota. So we sort of let them get away with it. And so like, I think you can have one artist on the team who doesn't really follow the process, but they deliver the results, but you can't have a whole team of of artists. So I think there's a very rare type of salesperson and everyone out there on the pod is probably thinking, Oh yeah, I'm the artist. Yeah, I'm that, I'm the rare one. They all (laughs) You're not, you're not. This is like a, this is like a 2% of the population type situation. Um, So for the rest of the population, like myself, and like most of us out there, we need a very systematic approach to, to be successful. And I think that rigor is really, really hard to, to keep up with. And it's not just rigor of like, the core tenets of sales that we think about, like activity, and then I need to follow the script or the or the process and I need to schedule meetings and follow-ups and send emails to make sure that people are reminded to show up for my meeting. It's discipline when it comes to qualification, right? And I think we probably are all familiar with some qualification tools that are out there that are used for enterprise sales like Medic and MedPick and you know, the old school version and simplified version is Bant. Um, And then there's, so you have to be disciplined there. You have to be disciplined in discovery to understand the current state of some, someone's um, business environment, the future state they're trying to get to, and all of the requirements they have um, that they need from a software provider or another provider in order to actually move from their current state to their future state. You know, they need to be disciplined in understanding who's in that organization and mapping that out and researching um, how these roles fit together and who their champion should be and um, do they actually need to get in touch with procurement and involve legal in the process like researching in a, a, a company to understand all of the moving pieces and then remain disciplined to follow that process without missing anything it's really really hard work and takes tons of rigor and I, and I just think the, the majority of the population in our society today isn't up, isn't up for the task so it's hard work, but I think once the understanding is there, if you put your mind to it, you can, I mean, you, you can cer- certainly do it and it reduces risk in all these deals, increases your conversion rate, and it's going to lead to people being really successful at enterprise sales. 
and it, and you know it it is it is rare, and you know when you find a, a, a salesperson that that really gets it and is really good and is able to adhere to that that rigor as you put it, um, it makes it all that more important to be able to help that person succeed, keep them motivated, help them grow. And, you know, I guess what I'm getting at is, is it's really critical to retain them because trying to find another one or, or two is that much more difficult. Right. And in a, you know, I was, I was talking to somebody uh, earlier today and, and they were like, you know, it's, it's kind of less about the candidates making themselves look attractive now and more about the employer making themselves look attractive. So, you know, how, how do you, what are the things that you're doing now um, to retain employees that, that you did before that still work for you? And what are the things that you're doing now that you've never had to do before in order to retain some of the top producers? Yeah, I think this is, I mean, Scott, you're based here in Austin and we see this to some extent across the entire country is the economy is, is booming. And when the economy is booming, you know, that means um, there's a lot more funding out there, which means there are um, a lot of startups out there that um, have capital to pay salespeople a, a, a lot of money. And, um, and in general, that means that there's a lot more opportunity out there for, and a lot more selection out there for account executives and yeah, they got more, more options, more choices people. kind of stuff, right? Way, way more, way more options. And, um, and so you see that in Austin where the economy is, is definitely booming here. And in the, in the past, and I, you know, except for very early in my career, I've worked for startups my entire career. And so one of the things that's always worked, worked well to recruit reps and retain reps is making sure that those people feel connected to the vision of the company and the mission of the company um, because why else would we why else would we work for a startup right we could probably go to a larger software organization get paid more money do less work close bigger deals but when you work for a startup part of the fun is um, being being a part of the high growth environment where um, the company's growing revenue really aggressively month over month year over year it's part of um, you know, getting a new technology out there into the market that's solving real problems and is, it's, is a, it's, very a, make it's a tricky tug of war though, right? Like yeah. part of our, part of our job is to develop, almost develop people to the point where they're too good for us anymore. Yeah. At some level, right? Yeah. But, but we, got, we, 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 and that's our job. We got it. We got to help out. them grow. Right. But, uh, but you know, sometimes the thing about the earlier stage startup is like, you know, there's a, people don't want to admit it in their uncapped commission kind of plans, but like there's a hidden kind of, you know, cap sometimes, right? It's like, if you're in an early stage startup, you probably are not going to be able to make 600, $750,000, a million dollars, right? We had somebody on here the other day who was like, oh yeah, at Salesforce, they told us our, our top rep made 600,000, right? I don't know. I can't speak to everything out there, but I don't know a single early stage startup rep who's making $600,000 a year, yep. right? So, yeah. but I, I, so I have a, you know, to your point, Scott, like you have to make them so they're too good for us, but because of that, you also get loyalty. Mm -hmm. So you, you, that's, that's one of the reasons they stay, right? And I've, I've worked with Scott enough 
uh, directly and indirectly that, you know, I always call them Scott's disciples, right? Like they just, they sort of live, breathe and, and eat whatever Scott has to do or say. Um, and, and fortunately I, I got out of the cult. Um, <laughs> uh, so, but, but Scott has that ability, right? Um, and, and that comes back to leadership. So I think Brandon coming back to you, like, yeah, you can get someone to buy into the vision, but you know, what if you're not a startup? What if you're someone listening to a sales podcast like this and you're like, yeah, but I don't work at a startup and there's a, there's no, there's no big vision at visa. There's no yeah. big vision at such and such. Like what are the other things you've done to, to help retain people? Yeah. You've worked, and, and you've worked and led in those environments before. Yeah. Larger, larger environments like Mongo was, you know, a thousand people when, when I was there, which certainly isn't an early stage startup. It's not a fortune 1000 yet either, but it's definitely not an early stage startup. And there's, you know, that's the other side of it is it's making people feel connected to the mission, but it is like, if you're talking about lo loyalty, you know, it's loyalty to Scott, it's loyalty to the company. We still have some Scott disciples here at Qualia, of course. Thank you, Scott. They're, most of them are pretty good at their job. <laughs> Thanks for most of them. And, um, and so the, the loyalty is built through um, helping someone add additional skills to the repertoire, um, add more income and more dollars into their bank account, and also help with like their personal growth as a, as a human being. Like that's really, as sales leaders, that's how the loyalty is created and that's never gonna change. And, and I think that is true for organizations like ours, you know, fast growing startups, and it's true for large global 2000 type companies too. Yeah, I was talking to I was talking to someone today actually, um, and they were they they have me helping them work on their management stuff and and they said you know I I took what you said in our training Richard and like I'm I'm really forcing myself to have those one on ones that are different than a pipeline meeting, right? Mm -hmm. If you're doing one on ones that are all about the pipeline, that's not a one on one. Right? Yeah, that's a pipeline meeting. So we drew that line and and I I said you know this is you know because of the time of the year I said this is a great thing is when you go have these one-on-ones where you're going to get to know people is you could say, Hey, what are your 2020 goals right outside of work? And how can we as an organization support you in achieving them? Yeah. Right? And, and I know that, and he really gravitated to that. And I think that's the kind of stuff that I think when you do those kinds of things, it makes it harder for them to want to leave. No doubt. Right? I mean, I think just, just today, um, you know, we had, Lead, leaders drink coffee session with um, my, my management team, all my sales leaders. And for the first 20 minutes, we weren't allowed to talk about qualia. We weren't even allowed to talk about sales, believe it or not. We got 20 minutes without talking about sales just so we could see what's going on in, in each other's lives, hear about New Year's resolutions, goals we might have, and talk through those things as, as friends and not just colleagues. And um, so on Scott Lease, I'm sure that got instituted after he left. Uh, yeah, sure. but Scott's Scott's great with that stuff. You you know that, Richard. I mean, I he helps right. people He's quit smoking, quit drinking. Um, you know, it, improve other like like life habits. I mean, that stuff. There's still like the uh, the after effects of Scott's Scott's personal development missions with individuals here at Qualia. And then the one of the things we've done as well with. Um, you know, as far as like keeping those one-on-ones really about personal growth is there is in our meeting pulse, there's a pipeline review 
And there's a one-on-one -on -one to talk about skill development, but there's an additional one-on-one -on -one in that meeting pulse, which is to talk about um, career development and what's going on with that individual. And that's where you have those more intimate conversations, which I think, which I think are necessary and definitely lead to loyalty with the team. Do you, do you have, when you, I, I could, you said there, there were like a, a meeting pulse. Is that what meeting you Meeting pulse. Yeah. So is that, and again, I'm just giving this to the listeners. Mm -hmm. is, are all three of those things covered in one meeting or no. are, there, are there three different meetings each week? Like how does that just giving people some tactics on it, right? Yeah, sure. So like if you look at our meeting pulse, I'll just give you um, kind of a general example is it's like, let's say we're at the start of Q Q1, we have the QBR, which is sort of, um, it's a review of Q4, but it's also a kickoff for, for Q1 where you can celebrate results and um, talk about initiatives that we're employing that really dominate Q1. And we're also reviewing everyone's book of business. Now, now as time goes on, um, every week we have a pipeline review where we're really digging into the pipeline also every week there's a separate skill development session, which is, you call it the batting cage where we're working on like spe developing specific skills and helping them get better at the, at the craft of, of sales. Um, and then every other week there's this one-on-one -on -one that is really just about career development and checking people's like, um, men mental health and, um, focusing on other personal growth, uh, conversations that we might be having with, with them. And then we're also doing like a monthly check-in and those things continue till the next quarter where we do another, another QBR and quarterly kickoff. That's great. That, that's really, thank you for sort of breaking that down. I think that's really yeah. helpful for people to understand. And, and obviously, you know, your mileage may vary, right? How, you, how often you do these and how you do these things are different, but. Yeah. And how, how high velocity the team is, or the sales, the sale is and all that stuff. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, let's, let's, can we go, let's go back in time a little bit, Brandon. When, when, did, when did you get into sales or when did you know that you were going to be a, a, a sales a salesperson? Sales was your profession. Yeah, I got into sales when I was 13, believe it or not. Um, selling I, what? <laughs> selling candy. Selling Me candy. too. Dude, yeah. I sold Jolly Ranchers. Oh, okay. I... Uh, I sold, it was this nonprofit organization called the United Students of America. I have no idea if this is around or not. And the mission was to, now I didn't grow up in the nicest, the most affluent neighborhood, but I also didn't grow up in like, in like the hood either. And so there was this organization of United Students of America and their mission was to keep kids off the street. And so the way that they kept kids off the street was throw them in a van and they could go sell candy. And um, the way that it worked is you got a dollar for each box you sold. I think it was four dollars, and then the organization got the rest of the money. Right. Very cool. Trial cool. labor. So that's how I started in sales. Um, I didn't know I was going to be a sales professional at that time. Obviously. When did you know you were going to be a sales professional? When did you kind of make that decision? Yeah, I think that wasn't. I think that was probably my second year of. Uh, well, my, I'm sorry, my third year of college. So when I was a junior, and most of the courses I was taking in school were focused on my degree program, which is marketing. And um, there was a, uh, a guy, John Hankey, was an adjunct professor at my school in Michigan. Um, and he worked for the automotive industry, because that's really what's in Michigan, <laughs> car manufacturers. And he was a procurement professional for years, who was, um, and also a sa sales exec for years before that. And on the procurement side, it's kind of 
you know, it's like the inverse of sales, but it really is a sales role. And most of these guys are um, compensated on, you know, how much money they can save the organization, right? So it's just the, in, it's just a sales role with a different veneer. And so John Hankey was an adjunct professor um, and he taught um, marketing, I'm sorry, sales for marketing professionals, which was a, which was a course in, in my degree program. And I really just fell in love with like the, with the science of sales in that class. And then I had an internship that year with my uncle's company. Um, and um, that, that summer for about four months and my entire job was to, one was try to get the um, older sales reps to uh, adopt the CRM, which was ACT software at the time. It was like an on-premise. You remember ACT, Richard? <laughs> uh, I never used that one, but I was a gold mine guy. I even used Lotus Notes for well, that's really well, Brandon, I mean, half, the, half your listeners don't even know what you're talking about. Right? I and sure Brandon and I are not even that old. No, I know. <laughs> There's so much. So, you act, so I got the uh, reps to um, implement uh, and start using Axe software, adopt Axe software, which I was like not very successful at. But the other thing I got to do is just shadow the reps to all of the meetings and the lunches and the dinners. And that's where I like fell in love with the art side of sales. So I got the science from John Hankey. I got the art from this internship and I, d I decided I'd, I'd give it a go. And so I started my sales career selling copiers actually for Rico Corporation. Um, and you know, it was a hard job. It was outside sales. So you really learned through this. This is Michigan? Yeah, I was in Michigan. Yep, that's right. Through the school. So you were literally going, going door to door in the snow and cold, right? Selling, selling copiers. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was intense. But they trained you very well in sales. They sent you to Atlanta for, um, for like intensive sales training. But it was hard nose outside sales, door to door. Um, I, I learned a lot about sales, but I decided I didn't want to work for a global 2000 multinational company. I wanted to work for startups. And then, you know, that was 17, 18 years ago. And the, the rest is history. Was there, was there, a, was there a tipping point for you when you when you decided, you know, you wanted to go into leadership as opposed to be an individual contributor for the rest of your life? I was, I was thrust into it. Um, you know, Meltwater has a pretty big sales alumni. So there are probably a few people um, out there listening to this that I worked with in, in the past. Um, but I was, I was sort of thrust into it. I was a top performing um, individual contributor at Meltwater, working out of our Chicago office at the time. Um, and our, our managing director, which is basically like the director of sales. Um, so the director of sales for that, that office uh, was moving on to another role in the company. And they prom promoted me from sales rep at a tender young age um, to the director of sales for how old were you? Pretty how large sales you? team. I think I had just turned twenty six. Twenty six. Yeah, and I had all of this responsibility. And I had no idea what I was what I was doing, um, and I I I figured it out with some great mentors and a lot of bumps bumps and bruises. I figured it out, and it was it, it was kind of the moment I knew that leadership was right for me was um, along the same lines of what I was talking about earlier is. The reason why I was so good at um, as an individual contributor is I just wanted to win at all costs, but I didn't always enjoy that process of winning along the way. 
um, as a leader, I really what I, I got the most satisfaction out of and still still do to this day, like I said, is just seeing the people around me get better, seeing other people get better. It's, you know, it's the same reason I love being a dad so much, right? Is you see the leaps and bounds and the improvement that, um, that your team makes. And it just, there's just so much pride in that, so much gratification that comes from that. What, what, what's, what's a, if you're willing, and it could be either as a, as a, as a rep or a manager, what mistakes have you made that you would love to tell people not to make? Right? Oh man. You know? Yeah. So I think er, early on this, this one actually took me a, an, a, a handful of years to, uh, because I, I got the feedback so so many times, like Brandon, you are like excellent at you know inspiring people and leading by example, and you are just really great with um, skill coaching and helping keep um, get get better at the job. Um, but you're really bad at having the tough conversations and hold, holding the line. And so I think about like now we're gonna get really deep here. Scott's gonna love this and probably make fun of me later. <laughs> um, but if you, if I've always been someone who's been very image conscious, right. And so what happens when you're concerned about what people think about you all the time, um, that comes, there are implications of that in your communication with other people. And so if your reps, um, are your friends, that's great. They, sh they should be your friends. They're a big, big part of your life, but you still have to be brutally honest with them when the situation calls for it. Because that's that's what that's part of the love love equation, and so I think for a long time it was really hard for me to be brutally honest about deficiencies and brutally honest and have candid conversations, be radically candid, um, you know, just excuse my cheesiness, and um, and and I think making sure that I was comfortable like with who I am and didn't care as a young manager. Um, not caring about what other people thought about me, but actually caring about the outcome for the business and caring about the outcome for that individual, like gave me the confidence to just be honest, not worry about what people think, hold the line, have these tough conversations that were necessary for their development. That was a hard one for me though. So, so I'm just going to sort of sum that up is that if someone, if you had to have a difficult conversation or an uncomfortable conversation, right? It's more about discomfort than I think difficulty in my opinion, but mm -hmm. The way you were able to flip that switch was by being able to say, well, wait a minute. Yeah, it's uncomfortable, but the outcome of this conversation should be that they're better. I'm going to be better because I'm going to be better at having these conversations. And overall, even our relationship's going to be better because we can just be direct and honest with each other. That, and it was sort of creating that epiphany in your mind somewhere that, oh, this, this is why I need to do this, correct? Yeah, that, like that, I think that's the discomfort for me was like I thought I was going to damage the relationship and I really was concerned about what that person thought about me. Now, the, you know, the more mature I became, I realized it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks about me, but I also became comfortable with the fact that like, if, if I don't have these tough conversations, allow someone to feel this pain, then they don't get to learn these new lessons and they don't get to become a better person. And that's, you know, that, that, um, that's necessary to help Richard, people develop. Richard, that's, that's very interesting. Richard can attest to this. I did not have that problem when I first <laughs> yeah. got started. No, no, I, had, I, had, I had the opposite problem. I, you know, I, 
would be significantly harder on the people that I was close to. I think I was, I was hard on everybody 15 years ago, but significantly harder on the people that I was closest to. And, and, and I once had the guy, this guy's one of my best friends. Now he once came up to me in my office after I was, you know, riding him too hard and, and, and probably went a little too far. He came up to me in my office and said, Hey dude, uh, are we friends still? I was like, what are you, what are you talking about? Of course we're friends still. Like I had this like in the office mode. Right. And I'm, I'm able to just leave it at the door. Like as soon as I leave, it's like, you know, yeah. back to, back to kind of friend mode. But it took me a long time to realize, sadly for me, not everybody was like that. And so I, I had to really, you know, over, over the years, like make that adjustment yeah. and, uh, and dial it down. So you and I, you know, came arrived at the same place but started on different kind of ends of the spectrum there yeah i have a really important question for the two of you um who, who's a better baseball coach <laughs> well it's the same um anybody who watched the video just just saw my face knows the answer to that yeah, yeah. well it's the same concept you talked talked about we talked about earlier right is the like it's a number of hours invested in something are usually going to make that person better at it. Scott's investing way more time at baseball coaching than I am. So he's, I will concede he's, he's a better baseball coach at this point. See what happens in a few years. I know Brandon and, and what he's saying is, you know, <laughs> Scott cares too much. Scott's too obsessed with all this guy. This is him throwing me under the bus. I would right? never, I would never say that. Yeah, you would. I know you didn't say. Well, I would. I'd say that. I know, I know. I know that's what he means. Well, you know, Brandon also, for those of the audience who don't don't know him, has significantly more things going on at home. I have two kids. Brandon has five. Yeah. Oh my god! Full house. So there's only so much time that he can devote, right? Versus you know what 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 I'm able to devote, and also you know Brandon's kids are smaller and younger and whatnot. So. That might flip, Brandon, as as uh, as the crew gets a little older, man. Yeah, then I might be even yeah even more obsessed than you are. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> that's right, dude. Well, what what's the bullpen like in the house? Look, this is how we uh, you know here's how we clean up our plates, and here's how we. Uh, well, you know, you, you. Oh yeah, I'm teaching all kinds of valuable life skills on a daily basis Richard <laughs> and good good and bad skills right you know I mean my kids are extremely competitive you, you could say they're hyper competitive and um, I am as well and and you know I didn't I haven't purposely taught them that yes you it did just, it just, I didn't purposely yes, say did. I didn't purpose no I didn't I did not purposely sit them down and be like okay here's how you be competitive here like but you know, it, it, it bleeds through and, and, and they have that. And that's, and that's good in some things. And, you know, also the flip side, sometimes, you know, they need to dial it down um, a little bit, you know, but you, you talked about this before Richard, I mean, when it comes to money, you, you wrote a whole article that, that, you know, got a lot of uh, eyeballs on it that talked about like talking to your kids about money. Like if you don't talk to your kids about money, who, who, who's going to, right? right. Yeah. You know? you know you are you're you're passing things things down and it's important lessons for them to for them to learn right. Rather, my, what you, my kids are going to be the agents of scott's kids 
<laughs> sounds like a, sounds like a win-win for, for kind of feels like how it is, is right now anyway. that is a win-win that is a win-win yeah. well so, brandon we're getting we're getting close to uh the end of our end of our show here um you know we we, we again people are going to start getting the i'm gonna have to stop like introducing this this segment or whatever people are going to get accustomed to the, the the way the show flows but you know we flip it around at the end and try to say you know how can we be helpful to you you know, do you have any questions for us that maybe we can can answer? And, um, you know, you and I talk pretty regularly and, and, and whatnot. So I thought maybe specifically for this, is there anything that you want to talk to Richard about? What, what would you want to ask Richard? How might he me? I'm offering you up, Richard. How can Richard right. be? Uh, yeah, you know? I'm good with it. Yeah. So, Richard, like you and I, I mean, Scott and I have known each other for years now and we live in close proximity. You and I didn't really know each other before this this pod. So mm -hmm. it's great to spend some time with you. Sure. Um, one of the, like, we have some very aggressive goals for 2020, just like every other sales organization out there. And um, one of the things that we're going to have to do in order to hit those goals um, is we're going to have to, um, you know, we, we have plans in our business, right? And so uh, we need to close larger plan sizes. So basically we need to increase the average contract value. Um, and it's not just about upselling those people additional products. It's not about necessarily like adding multi-years. It's part of it could be strategic too, where we just have to focus on different types of accounts um, and prioritize different types of accounts to increase the average contract value. So like right. for, for sales leaders like myself and for AEs out there, like what, what are your thoughts on how we can increase ACV on these on on deals in general. Great, so, That's, this is a great question. I'm I'm excited to hear Richard's answer, and I and I bet the audience is looking forward to this as well because there's a lot of people who face this same challenge. Great. Well, you know what? We'll continue that in the next podcast. Don't, I'm just kidding. Go download it. <laughs> what is this like the Colin Cowherd show? <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> on this, your American Idol. Um. So, uh, so one, I think you have to go back to the beginning. Um, and people don't always like to say that, but you're, if you're literally going to do something new, you have to start new and you've got to go back to your ICP, your ideal customer profile. You've got to go back to the decision makers. You've got to go back and redefine the pains you solve for those larger size deals based on who those people are, not what you do. Nobody cares what Qualia does. They talk, they, they care what pains you solve. And so as you think of a deal that's, you know, from four figures to five figures or five figures to six figures, well, there are bigger pains that are six figure pains. And you got to be able to articulate that really well, at least in your, in your initial messaging. And then you've got to be able to ask the questions appropriately around those pains. How do you get them to admit the pain, right? So those are, those are the, the, the blocking and tackling fundamental kind of things. The other thing, this is, and this is probably the most unique one, is that um, and it's very California, so I, I hope that's okay for you, but I also think you should stop thinking about it. And what I mean is, you know, I'm a, I'm a big advocate of, of mental health and, and meditation, and I meditate 10 minutes a day, every day, religiously, like it's, I, I have to do it. And I even do meditations, I've gotten my point, self to the point where I can do it for a minute, and I can walk out like I did 10 minutes. What ends up happening is that you end up creating space in your mind for creative thinking. 
And that's where you don't go into the meditation thinking, Mario, I'm going to, I'm going to meditate and think about how to solve this problem. You go into the meditation thinking, I don't want to think about anything. I'm trying not to think about anything. And when you do that, that's when the ideas come. It's the same effect of like, if you go on a long drive and you're just sort of riding on the hum of the road and you got the music playing, you're not thinking about anything and all these ideas start popping. Right. So I think some of it comes internally like that. Some of it is externally, like I was saying, as, as defining it. Um, the, the third thing I would, I would say is, well, what have you done now um, to do that? Like, what have you already laid out? And then I would audit yourself. Like, literally say, this sucks. I'm going to do it again. Right? And I, I've, I've actually seen Scott do this. He'll, like, I'll write a, he'll write a script and be like, this script sucks. We're starting all over. And it, it's a different type of meditation because sometimes you have to put it down on paper to get it out of your mind, to get it out of your way so that you can then get to the real thing you really want to do, right? So those are the things. And then, and then the third one is, is you need to hire me to come in and, and teach you how to sell. So, you know, yeah. Yeah. So. So Shame. Shame. No, that's so good. That's so good. Yeah. Besides that last part. That yeah. Was yeah. We'll, we'll add, we might bleep that out. So <laughs> edit that part out. Brandon, I, I appreciate your time this afternoon. I know you got to uh, got to get going and everything. Good luck over there, bud. I know you're doing a great job and holding it down for me. And uh, look forward to seeing you soon. Yeah, see you both. Thanks Brandon, it was great talking to you, man. Yeah, right. have have a great day. You too.